Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. For this worship series, we're reading the gospel reading responsively, which means when it says, everybody, join in, please. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then they appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was was bent bent over and and was was quite quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him, him you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie their ox or their donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who's Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he when said, he said this, this, all his, his opponents, opponents were put to shame. And the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. Thanks be to God. So for this worship series during Lent, we're reading passages out of the writings of Jeremiah, an ancient prophet, to our ancestors in faith. The series is called Gird Up Your Loins When All the News is Bad News. And Jeremiah is a fitting representative of all the news being bad news because in his prophetic career, he spent 40 years enduring violence and the threat of violence. And so our question for this prophet is something like, what does the prophet of God say about God during the hardest times? Tonight we're reading from Jeremiah 17 verses 19 through 27. Thus said the Lord to me, go and stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah enter and by which they go out and in all the gates of Jerusalem and say to them, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, for the sake of your lives, take care that you do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. And do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your ancestors. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear. They stiffened their necks and would not hear or receive instruction. But if you listen to me, says the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of this city 
Kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials, the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall be inhabited forever, and people shall come from the towns of Judah and the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from the Shephelah, from the hill country, and from the Negeb, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, and bringing thank offerings to the house house of the Lord. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and to carry in no burden through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates. It shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Here is what you already know. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy is the fourth commandment in the Big Ten. From God's mouth to Moses' ear, alongside instructions not to pray to little bronze statues and not to murder anybody and to keep your pants on around your neighbor's spouse, there's an instruction to stop doing everything else for one day a week and rest. And let everybody else rest too. It's written right into the Big Ten. Your kids, your enslaved workers, your livestock, and the immigrants in your land on whose labor your livelihood depends. What you might not remember is that while God had Moses' ear, God gave a bunch of other instructions too, like 11 chapters worth in the book of Exodus. Exodus 20, is where the Ten Commandments are found for the first time in then Exodus 21, 22, 23, all the way through Exodus 31. God is talking, and Moses is taking notes. It all takes a very long time, 40 days and 40 nights, it felt like, to the people waiting to hear what their next move would be. It is worth noting that at the end of all those chapters of instructions, which cover subjects from kidnapping to livestock management, from lying under oath in a lawsuit to what the priests are supposed to wear when they serve in the tabernacle. This is not it. <laughs> At the very end of all that talking, God returns to reiterate just one of the big 10. Can you guess which one? Sabbath keeping. Exodus 31, verses 12 through 17, the Lord said to Moses, you yourself are to speak to the Israelites. You shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, given in order that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it shall be cut off from among the people. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the Israelites shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days I, the Lord, made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day I, the Lord, rested and was 
refreshed. And only after God has reiterated hard that Sabbath-keeping commandment, that Sabbath-keeping commandment, only then does God dispatch Moses down the mountain to report to God's people a new non-Pharaoh way of governance and economics under God's law, God's law, not Pharaoh's law, for how people should treat each other and how people should honor God's own self and how people should make their way in this world God still loves. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, all the people that Moses and his siblings recently liberated from their own enslavement are getting antsy. They have been recently on the run from Egypt's armies. They have barely escaped with their lives. They have no idea what to do now, except that some of them think they should still be running, putting even more miles between themselves and whatever's coming next out of Egypt. And Moses, where the hell is he? He's nowhere to be found. 40 anxious days, 40 sleepless nights worth of worry, nearly six weeks worth of wondering if they have made a huge mistake following this random guy into a wilderness so wild that no one has ever laid claim to it, land so harsh that nobody cares if they camp there indefinitely, apparently. So in chapter 32, when Moses finally struggles down the mountain to tell the Israelites all that God has said, carrying two huge slabs of stone into which the covenant has been carved, apparently by God's own finger, he finds his anxious people relieving their anxiety by bowing down to something that is not God. A silly, shiny statue made of melted jewelry from their own bodies. A symbol of their wishful thinking that by their own hands they can get what they need now. Moses' doofus brother Aaron has helped them do it. And you can just see Aaron shrug at his little brother. They were losing their damn minds just sitting around, Aaron would have said. It's impossible, all this waiting, all this doing nothing. We had to do something, see? That is the same reasoning, I'm sure, many, many generations later that Jeremiah's compatriots would have used for their own everyday busyness. These were people who had endured decades of violence and the threat of violence, barely keeping the Babylonian monsters at bay, barely keeping their children safe and fed, barely keeping their sanity while their world unraveled all around them. Anxious doesn't begin to cover it. They were in the grips of fear. They could not remember when they hadn't been afraid. They couldn't imagine ever not being afraid. And here comes Jeremiah, that pain-in-the-ass prophet, setting up his little station in the middle of the people's gate an opening in the city's fortified wall, so that traffic now has to find a way around him. All the people and pack animals and trailers loaded down with stuff, and everybody just trying as hard as they can to find a way to survive till tomorrow. And Jeremiah unfolds his little camp stool, and he pulls out his bullhorn, he stops tapping maddeningly on the mouthpiece. Is this thing on? Can you hear me? Test, one, two, test, one, two. Nobody even slows down. They've heard him before. They just roll their eyes and merge with the next lane to keep from running him over, flipping him off or slowing them down. And Jeremiah says, hear the word of the Lord, 
you kings of Judah and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, for the sake of your lives, take care that you do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem and do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work. Keep the Sabbath holy as I commanded your ancestors. And because none of the people bearing burdens through the gate that day had a moment to articulate a good rebuttal to Jeremiah, I'll do it for them. You don't understand, they might have said to him. This is no time to slow down. Can't you feel it? The hot breath of the dragon is already singeing our necks. The clock is ticking. The jig is up. Our ancestors, they could keep the Sabbath, sure, because that was a long time ago. They were not under all the pressure we're currently dealing with. But we are on borrowed time here. There is so much to do between now and then, and if we don't keep up the pace, we'll never make it. The bad guys will win. Hell, they might win anyway. Okay, they're probably going to win, but in the meantime, we can't just sit around doing nothing. We've got to do something. See? Far be it from me to tell God how to do God's job. Don't we all wish we could, like all the time? <laughs> I just wonder if God considered how futile it is to tell somebody to rest when they're not feeling restful. Like, there is a time when you can lull your milk-drunk baby child to sleep with tools as primitive as dim light and a rocking chair. But at some point, that baby child figures out that things keep happening even when they are asleep, and they don't want to miss any of it, and they just will not close their eyes. And there is no amount of rocking or cajoling or threatening that will make them any sleepier. Back in Exodus 31, when God says that working on the Sabbath is punishable by death, I'm thinking maybe that's a little like being mad at a baby who won't settle down. I mean, you can feel what you feel, but it's not going to get you what you want if what you want is a sleeping baby or a well-rested people. You can kind of see how the VRPs in Jesus' day got to where they were in that story that we read together with Peter, the one from Luke 13. A woman comes into the synagogue who has been smallened by life, bent in half, doubled over. I, I knew a woman once with arthritis in her spine so severe that she could not unbend from the 90-degree angle formed at her waist. I have known many more women and queer people and not white people who have learned how to cram themselves into the smallest possible form so as to go unnoticed, intending to be inoffensive by taking up less than their fair share of the space. Jesus, as it turns out, just wants everybody to stand all the way up. You know, to stretch out to the fullness of their God-given size. And when he makes that happen for the woman in Luke 13, the VRPs aren't mad about it, or they wouldn't be, they say, if he'd just done it on a Monday or Tuesday, or really any day of the week other than today, the Sabbath day. See, that's their job, 
to carry through what Moses brought down from that mountain, what Jeremiah announced in the gates of Jerusalem. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy for the sake of your lives. Take care that you do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day, thus says the Lord. Really, though, Jesus says, is relieving someone else's burden on your list of thou shalt nots? I mean, I don't think kindness is what God had in mind to prohibit when God prescribed our mandatory rest. I mean, she's here now, and so am I, he says. I can't just do nothing. I've got to do something. See? So here is where we are, church. We've got God who asserts God's authority over all that is by declaring that in God's economy, everybody rests. Everybody rests with regularity. Once a week, every week, everybody lays down their tools, their spatulas, their phones, closes their books and their laptops, kicks off their shoes, holsters their weapons, covers their clocks, goes back to bed. Once a week, every week, everybody finds a way to be together with their family, with their neighbors, with their religious kin, with their God. Everybody eats. Everybody prays, everybody rests, everybody Sabbaths. And if you don't do it, well, if you don't do it, God says in several ways in several places, you die, (laughs) which is a hard and kind of ridiculous word. But I wonder if we could hear it less as a threat and more as a consequence that the way of anxious work, the way of chronic stress, the way of endless labor with no real relief for body or mind or spirit is the way of death. If you work unendingly, God could be heard to say, and if you insist by your habits that everyone else do the same, your children indoctrinated by your habits to work unendingly, the working poor enslaved by your insistence on cheap food and cheap stuff and cheap service wherever you want it, every hour of every day. If you keep that up, your anxious toil and its anxious contagion, it'll kill you. How do I know, God says? Because this is my world. My world, God says, and that's the way it works. That's the way I made it to work. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. In six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day you too shall rest. That's God. And then we've got Jeremiah preaching in the gate at all those anxious workers, hustling to their next appointment, hurrying to meet their next obligation, racing to beat death and its destructive power. Jeremiah, in his bullhorn, telling them to slow down, slow down, insisting that their busyness is connected to the soon coming downfall of their city, not saving them from it as they imagine. God, Jeremiah, and then Jesus, arguing back at the VRPs that they've misunderstood that Sabbath-keeping is not an excuse to shut your eyes to other people's suffering, 
And then there's me standing uncomfortably over here with Moses and Jeremiah and the VRPs? Am I seriously on the brink of telling a bunch of anxious, exhausted, overworked people that if you don't slow down, if you don't find a rhythm of Sabbath rest, well, it's bad. You're bad? Is that where this has to go, necessarily? Let's just circle back to Jesus for a second. We usually find relief if we do that. Where was he again in Luke 13? In the synagogue. Doing what again? Teaching, praying, probably a little singing with his religious kin like he always did every seven days. Doing synagogue things, doing Sabbath things, not nothing just a different something than the other days of the week. And that woman, the smallened woman, whom he restored to her full size, where and when did her pain come into view? In the synagogue, on the Sabbath, when her neighbors had suspended their commerce, their work, their worry, when they came to rest, she came into view, and Jesus knew what to do. I wonder if that's not the point of Sabbath keeping after all, to stop our own dithering long enough to catch sight of someone else, to release ourselves from the endless delusion of self-reliance long enough to apprehend someone else's suffering. It would fit with other things Jesus said on other days, that the point of your life is to love God and love everybody else. You really can't do one without the other. And, and, I might add, you got to be well-rested to do either one. Church, I'll be honest. I happen to know that some of y'all are seriously tired. Seriously tired. Of being on high alert. Anxious every day working as hard as you can to beat back the despair and the violence, the threat of violence, the toxicity of all that's going on in the world around us, the literal viruses and the metaphorical ones, the infections that weaken the human family and the human spirit and threaten us with the death of our joy, our hope. I can no more exhort us all together to Sabbath keeping, then I can exhort a wakeful baby back to sleep. But maybe we can hear a gospel word from Jeremiah, after all, all together. That when God looks at God's people under siege and under pressure, God knows we're tired. And God rejoices when we find the time to rest and recreate and restore our strength to rejoin this suffering world. Church, I so hope you sleep well tonight. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. 
This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Rev. Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.